0: Thank you so much for joining us again. Several years ago, Barna conducted a study called The Porn Phenomenon, asking thousands of Americans about their views on and use of pornography. Now, it found that one in three Americans seek out porn at least once a month. It also reported that most porn users say it doesn't bother them to use porn and that few adults are actively trying to stop using it. And among those who are considered to be practicing Christians, only 16 percent. Yeah have tried to stop using pornography. It's shocking. What are we to make of these statistics on porn use, especially among Christians, even as it wages war against their walk with Jesus Christ and against godly marriages? We're gonna talk about this now with Ted Shimmer. He is the founder of the Freedom Fight, an online porn addiction recovery program, and has mentored men since 1991 with the Collegiate Ministry Student Mobilization. And he is out with an important new book. It's called The Freedom Fight, The New Drug and the Truth that set us free. Ted, it's so good to have you here. Thank you for being with us. Janet, it's great to be with you. Well, I was really struck by your intro because you were saying that the way you came to deal with this issue of porn addiction was because your number one obstacle, you found out, to your ministry's mission of building spiritual leaders for Christ was this problem of pornography. And I bet there are a lot of Christians who'd be shocked by that, but how did you find that out? What happened?
1: Well... Um, in 2004, 2005, and 2006, we started seeing more and more of our uh, student leaders being disqualified from leadership because they struggled with porn. They wanted to quit, but they couldn't. And so, in 07, as a ministry, we really, you know, identified pornography as really the number one obstacle our goal and our mission of, of building, you know, Christlike leaders. And so as a result, we started having all of our staff men go through a porn addiction recovery program so that we could be better equipped to help students overcome this porn addiction in the context of discipling them, and so that's really when it started for us.
0: Well, that is tragic. Do you have a handle on how widespread the porn use was among some of these student leaders in your ministry? Because I know the numbers are pretty astronomical across the board when you look at what has been, you know, shared by a lot of people, pastors and also laymen in the church. How bad was the problem?
1: Well, and and each year it was getting worse, and we thought it was bad enough um you know that we identified it as the number one obstacle um and that was in 07 yeah which 07 was also the year the iphone came out and so what we thought was a a horrible situation was about to get exponentially worse because of the smartphone um and so you know really from the early 2000s we we saw uh, you know the increase happening each year um, but since the iPhone, you know, it's it's gone. You know, just the new heights at both the breadth and the depth of addiction. Each year, a new freshman class shows up to campus. More and more of them are addicted at deeper and deeper levels.
0: Goodness. How does it start? Because I think there are a lot of older people who, uh, you know, didn't grow up with the Internet who are saying, why in the world would a Christian be looking at pornography? And I, I mean, it sounds like a pretty simplistic question because obviously it's a lot more available now than it was back in the day when you had to get a magazine or something like that. How does it normally start? I know not, no two stories are alike, but what is the typical story that you've heard of how somebody gets addicted to pornography?
1: And yeah, and that's a great question because a lot of parents are, you know, I hear a number of stories of parents finding out that, you know, their kid who's in their early 20s has been addicted for five or six years and they had no idea and it happened right underneath their noses. Um, But when a person gets private access to the Internet, that's when the addiction begins. Typically, (laughs) you know, they'll they'll have exposure you know, from a friend or, you know, somebody will show them. But when a person has private access to the Internet, and a lot of parents don't realize that can happen, you know, through a gaming system, through an iPod touch, through, you know, a number of venues. But when a person gets that private access, that's when we see the addiction really take root because, you know, curiosity typically, you know, lead them into it. But, you know, as I share in the book, uh, pornography stimulates the brain much like uh, illicit drugs. Yep. And the dopamine high that the person chasing, uh, you know, a cocaine ha- ap- habit, uh, that's the same dopamine high that the, the porn addict begins to chase. And right. so, you know, it can start with curiosity, but I've, I've heard a number of testimonies that it was the very first time they, you know, saw a a porn video, they got hooked. And, you know, many of these students, the, you know, the average age of first exposure is between, you know, there's one study that says 11, there's another study that says eight. Um, And so it's somewhere between eight and 11 that the first exposure starts. Usually the addiction, you know, starts at 13 or 14 when they have that private access.
0: Now, that's amazing. So obviously, one of the things that parents should look out for is giving your child private access to the Internet. Clearly, that's one of the big yeah. things. But I mean, it could happen later. But is it substantially worse uh, when you look at some of the statistics and research that has been done on the effects of pornography? Does it turn out long term to be much worse in duration uh, or addiction level if you start? As a preteen, as opposed to a teenager, is there much of a difference in, in how that child develops?
1: Uh, yes. Yes, there is. And, you know, one of the reasons that we have laws in place to keep addictive substance away from minors is because the adolescent brain uh, is much more moldable. Neuroplasticity, um, you know, is the phenomenon of our brains changing when we learn you know, new behaviors, when we you know learn new activities um, and the brain is more plastic and moldable as an adolescent and and so those porn pathways go deeper yeah and that is why uh, we have laws in place to keep addictive substances away from the adolescent brain and yet what most people don't realize is when somebody hands their 12 year old thirteen year old an iPhone man they're they're giving uh, their their child access to one of the most addictive substances on the planet in pornography.
0: Right. You've even said in the book that pre-adolescent porn use is not only present, it's becoming the norm. What's going on out there with the pre-adolescent kids who are are finding pornography?
1: Well, and it's, um, and the statistic is that you know, those who are ten and under uh, make up twenty-two percent of adolescent uh, porn use, um, and you know there there's there's some groups. Uh, one group that is you know targeting and teaching uh, kids through an online sex addiction. I mean, uh, sex education program, and they teach kids that. Watching porn is normal, even a few times a day, um, and and so there is an there is an active um, you know education program that you know is trying to you know make parents believe and students believe that hey it's normal it's natural, um, and yet the earlier an, an addiction starts, the deeper it goes and the longer it lasts, um, and so that's one of the one of the reasons. You know, we try to help, you know, churches and pastors uh, have a sense of urgency to help their youth deal with this, because, you know, at our church, you know, I, I talked to the youth pastor, and he's like, I can tell when a that seventh grader gets their iPhone, because, They're a different kid at the end of seventh grade Mm. when they've been looking at all this porn. And that's typically when their addiction starts. Um, And that's not that's not just our church. Um, You know, the the more youth pastors I've talked to, you know, they all echo that same sentiment.
0: That's horrifying, but it's reality. And that's why we need to talk more about the freedom fight, the new drug and the truths that set us free. Ted Shimmer with us. We're going to come back right after this. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. Open enrollment is here, and choosing a health care program is an important decision for you and your family. As a member of Liberty Health Share, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty Health Share is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses and in your time of need other members are there for you too you can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens you can find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt that's libertyhealthshare.org jmt libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt this is the story of a young mom in crisis who felt alone and desperate when finding out she was pregnant. After meeting with the counselors at Preborn and seeing her baby on an ultrasound and hearing the heartbeat, she knew that life was the best choice. My mind changed completely from the abortion the first time that I visited. It's a fact. When a mom in crisis sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, eight out of ten times, she'll choose life for her baby. I know God won't have me to just throw at my blessings like that. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the United States. One ultrasound costs just $28, or five ultrasounds are $140. And now through a matching gift, your gift will be doubled, rescuing 10 babies' lives. Would you please consider helping us to support Preborn and the cause for life? To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible, or there's a banner to click at Janet Mefford. Thank you for being with us. Ted Shimmer is joining us, founder of The Freedom Fight, which is an online pornography addiction recovery program. And his book is called The Freedom Fight, The New Drug and the Truth That Set Us Free. And boy, I just can't get over some of the stuff that you've been revealing, Ted, about youngsters. I mean, 10-year-olds who are addicted to porn and things like that. It's becoming the new norm. And clearly we have a crisis here. You refer in the book to it as a tsunami. You know, tsunami is the wave that by the time you see it, it's too late. What are the Effects And what are the coming effects of seeing younger and younger kids getting addicted to pornography and, you know, on into the teen years and beyond? I mean, w- what kind of price are we going to pay as a society in the future for all of this?
1: Yeah, and, and, the, and the problems uh, are massive. You know, everything from, you know, objectifying women, um, the value of women decreasing Uh, so much of the pornography is also laced with violence. And so just, you know, the violence against women, um, you know, how it feeds uh, sex trafficking. Um, But in so many ways, we're really setting kids up, um, you know, for failure in relationships and really their sexual relationships. But there's also just on the spiritual level, uh, when God was talking about the impact of fleshly lust, he says it wages war against the soul hmm. in First Peter 2.11, yep. and, and that's what we're seeing. There's, there's been some you know, significant studies that had showed a direct correlation that the more pornography someone watches, the less they, they keep their spiritual commitments, reading their Bible, going to church, praying. But the one thing that does increase with their porn use are their spiritual doubts. So if you think about it, if you wanted Christians to be less committed to going into church, reading their Bible and praying, and you wanted them to doubt more, just get them to watch porn.
0: That makes sense, and, though. Yep. Yeah. That makes sense, because uh, if you're addicted to something and your brain is being rewired through the process of using this, then you begin to want what, you know, pornography offers you more than wanting to struggle. I mean, this shows up in some of the stats that I was quoting from that Barna study at the outset of our interview, where where you had a huge number of people who were using pornography saying, I have no interest in giving it up. Even Christians, yeah. you know, I, I don't really want to give it up. How do you fight this when you're going through your program and you're helping men who might come into the program saying, I, I know it's bad, but I, I'm not giving it up, and I can't give it up. It's not possible. Just maybe like a drug addict or an alcoholic saying I, I'm so addicted. There's no breaking free from this. Where where do you start with somebody like that?
1: Well, and, and they have to get to at least a point. Uh, you know, if they're going to you know go through our program, that uh, they they desire the freedom. Now they may have lost hope because you know many of many of these these people have been praying for years. They've been trying and yet they can't break free. Um, and so one building their convictions, that hope is possible that through applying God's truths, his truths can set us free and understanding the scientific, um, you know, aspects being scientifically informed with the brain science helps us know how to most effectively apply God's truths, Mm -hmm. renewing our minds and building new neurological pathways. Um, but really helping, helping people live in the light, um, you know, because typically, you know, they've been, they've been living uh, in this cloud of shame. There's shame in any addiction, but particularly for the Christian who struggles with a pornography addiction. Um, and so they've learned to deny, minimize, and rationalize for so long uh, they really have to come to the point that they're, they're willing to live in the light. And be honest, um, you know, and confess, and start the healing process. Um, and And so, it's it's important, uh, you know, to give them hope, but also to give them a path. That hey, you you have to be brutally honest, and you have to pursue freedom because it's not it's not just going to happen. People don't just quit a porn habit; they have to outgrow a porn habit. They have to grow and develop. Um, and in and some key areas in order to find freedom.
0: Yeah, I'm interested about that when you use the verb outgrow. So how do you begin that process of helping a man in particular outgrow a pornography addiction and wanting Other things, in particular, wanting the Lord more and wanting his word more and wanting to be moral and wanting to be clean and pure in mind the way the Bible commands us to be. How do you get that man to outgrow porn? That that sounds like a really difficult situation, but obviously there are a lot of uh, people who seek that kind of help. What do you do for them?
1: Yeah. Well, and we've identified uh, six roots of a of a pornography addiction that have to be addressed. Um, and so, I'll give you one as an example to answer your question. One of those roots of addiction is negative emotions. <laughs> and so, what happens is um, many times a pornography becomes quickly it quits being about the sex and becomes about how you medicate the pain and discomforts of your life. Mm. And so if a man starts using porn and then he starts using it to medicate the stress at life, uh, you know, stress at work, then all of a sudden stress becomes one of his triggers. And so he has stress at work and then all of a sudden he has this huge desire uh, to look at porn because that's where he's been going. That's where he's trained his brain that that porn pathway is triggered by stress. Wow. And so, helping him learn to identify, hey, what are your emotional triggers, and then how do you learn to process your emotions instead of medicating them? Um, And so, one of the things we we teach in our program, we have an app and it's all free, Um, but people have daily check-ins where they share, hey, what what emotion am I feeling? Um, You know, hey, how am I doing? Answer a, a few other questions, send it to their accountability partner. Uh, but we train men through that. They, they grow in their self-awareness and their emotional intelligence and they, they, they can start identifying, Hey man, here are my emotional triggers. So next time I'm stressed at work, man, I know I need to reach out and call my accountability partner because I know I'm going to be hit with this desire to use porn. Wow. So that's one example. People have to grow in their emotional, uh, you know, awareness and intelligence um, and so that's one one of the key areas that we help people uh, you know, outgrow porn.
0: yeah. now, when you have a negative emotion, like you're talking about somebody who has pain or discomfort, whether it's stress at work or some kind of personal problem, and porn is just a quick fix, as it were, to make that man feel better, what kinds of alternatives? do you teach those men to go to, especially those you know, who are professing Christians? Do you, do you send them to the word of God? Do you have them memorize scripture? I mean, how do you rewire that brain away from pornography? What's the alternative to porn if somebody feels that kind of stress and pain?
1: Yeah, and, you know, one, of the, one of the other roots of addiction is uh, the addicted brain. And so we teach a tool that as soon as somebody is triggered, We teach them a tool in which they they meditate on the scriptures. Um, And so that's a a huge part of our program is rewiring their brains around God's word. Um, And, you know, one of the other things we teach related to specifically the emotions is, you know, King David teaches us in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, when he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me. And so King David was feeling anxiety. He didn't really know where it was coming from. And so he invited God into his anxiety and said, Lord, you know, show me what's going on here. Is this anxiety, you know, tied to a hurtful way? And so we teach people how to process their emotions with God through prayer, but also to reach out and break isolation. And you know, verbalize those emotions with an accountability partner. Um, and so, yeah, those are those are some of the some of the steps uh, that we teach to to help people outgrow porn and really grow in their emotional um, you know their emotional intelligence and learning how to process their emotions instead of medicating their emotions.
0: Well, that's really good. That's really important. All of it is very important. And for parents, those who have been shocked, as I have been, by some of the statistics you were sharing earlier about pre-adolescent porn use, What about your kids? I mean, clearly you don't want to get your eight-year-old an iPhone and things like that. But what advice would you give to parents and or grandparents, family members who have a a young pre-adolescent boy or girl and, and are worried about that child being prematurely exposed to pornography? Not that we ever want them exposed to pornography. But what would you say to those parents and grandparents about protecting your kids?
1: Yeah, well, and yeah, we... We have to awaken that generation because um, the world is filling in the blanks that our kids have. Uh, I was talking to a dad um, in the spring, and he told me about his seven-year-old son. This illustrates uh, your question. But his seven-year-old son came home and asked his dad about sodomy. He didn't use that word, but he was you know, talking about that act. His dad had never had the sex talk with him. But what his dad did do was de-shame the to- topic of pornography and told his son, hey, son, there are bad pictures out there. There are bad videos. And there are good videos. On these bad videos, people are showing their private parts. So if you ever see one of those, you need to come talk to me. Well, because his dad did that, his son came and asked him about, you know, sodomy, which one of his friends at school showed him a video oh boy. as a seven-year-old. You know what's a seven-year-old supposed to do with that? Uh, but because his dad shamed it, his son was willing to come and, and, and talk to him about it. And so, it's really important that we we have not just the sex talk or the porn talk. We need to have both of those, but those must be ongoing dialogues. Yeah, uh, Janet, you would be surprised that the vast majority of college students that i've worked with in the last 30 years who grew up in christian homes had never had the sex talk with their parents
0: <laughs> wow so they're not having the sex talk yep you know what do they what do they do with with form ted thank you so much we're out of time but the name of the book is the freedom fight you can go to the freedomfight.org for more information ted shimmer thanks so much we'll be back
2: This is Janet Mefford Today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford.
0: I think 2020 for me is going to go down as the year when I was never more grateful to be a Christian for a host of reasons, for so many reasons. And I've always been grateful for being a Christian since the time I became a Christian as a child. But I am so grateful to be a Christian. You know why? For many, many reasons, obviously. Eternal life, forgiveness of sins, new creature in Jesus Christ, all of those things that we talk about as believers in the Lord. But also because if you are a Christian You are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come, as 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. We are chosen race, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We know these things. We've been crucified with Christ, as Galatians 2 says. It's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I could go on and on and on. Identity in Jesus Christ is critical right now because there are so many people who don't have the slightest idea who they are. They don't have the slightest idea which sex they are. That's such a fundamental thing. How in the world can you be confused about that other than that you've been completely propagandized by a world that is bonkers? I don't know what other word to call it. Sinful, lost, in total darkness, all of those things. Under the power of the enemy, all of those things. But fundamentally, I'm just going to use the word bonkers because I don't have any better word than that right now. Here is an example of this. The actress Ellen Page, you might have heard, she was in that movie Juno years ago and came to prominence because she played this young, pregnant teenage girl. And she came out about five years ago as a lesbian. Now she is announcing that she is both transgender and non-binary. Now, how in the world you can be those two things simultaneously is beyond my capacity to understand. A transgender, according to the definition, is a person whose sense of personal identity and gender does not correspond with his birth sex. So, in other words, you believe that you are the opposite sex internally. It doesn't matter what you feel internally. It has nothing to do with whether or not that's your sex because your sex is determined by your DNA. And yes, by your genitalia, by your body, but non-binary means your gender identity, what you believe yourself to be is neither male nor female, which is just bonkers. I'm sorry. I have a lot of sympathy for people who are trying to figure these things out in absolute despair, but how in the world could you be both those things at the same time? The answer is you're neither of those things. You're neither of those things. But I want to play for you how CNN reported on this development. Cut one.
3: The actor wrote a letter on Instagram saying, quote, I want to share with you that I am trans. My pronouns are he, they, and my name is Elliot. I feel lucky to be writing this, to be here, to have arrived at this place in my life, end quote. Paige identifies as transgender and non-binary. If you're not familiar, it's a term used to describe a person whose gender identity is neither man nor woman. The Oscar-nominated actor goes on to say, quote, I can't begin to express how remarkable it feels to finally love who I am enough to pursue my authentic self, end quote. Okay, authentic self. Well, what were you five
0: years ago? And what were you before that? I thought it was your authentic self to be a lesbian five years ago. She's also saying as happy as she is with calling herself Elliot now, she's also frightened. This is cut to.
3: Page also shared that even though he's feeling profoundly happy right now, he still fears or has fears. I'm scared of the invasiveness, the hate, the jokes and of violence. And Page says to all trans people who deal with harassment, self-loathing, abuse and the threat of violence every day. I see you. I love you. And I will do everything I can to change this world for the better. In response to Page's letter, the LGBTQ advocacy group GLAD tweeted this. Page has given us fantastic care." on screen and has been an outspoken advocate for all LGBTQ people. We celebrate him. All trans people deserve to be accepted. Okay,
0: she she's not a boy. She doesn't get to choose her pronouns. If you're a girl, you're she, her. That's all. You don't get to determine a new application of the English language to make words mean what they don't mean. You're not a boy and you're not transgender, and you're not non-binary. There's no such thing. You are a girl, and I feel sorry for her, but she's a girl. I'm not going to go along with this, this weaponization of language in order to turn unreality into a fake reality. I'm not going along with that. No Christian should, because we know what Genesis 127 says. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. Not a word about transgenders, not a word about non-binary, not a word about polygendered or what have you. No, has anybody actually tried the polygender thing yet? I'm just wondering. I'm putting together different combinations of phrases and trying to figure out. I'm simultaneously male, female and the other 58 genders that Facebook recognizes. I don't think anybody's tried that yet. Somebody will give it a year and eh, give it a month. Anyway, I went back a little bit to find out more about Ellen Page and what's interesting to me and what's tragic to me is that she is obviously very, very confused. Now, this was a gay outlet, a gay media outlet interviewing her about coming out of the closet as a lesbian in 2015 at the world premiere of a film called Into the Forest. And she was happy with her identity then. Listen to this. This is cut three and it has two strong female leads, one's bisexual, Evan Rachel Wood, and Ellen Page is a lesbian, so that's kind of rare in Hollywood films. I'm from Daily Exeter, an LGBT news outlet. Oh, hey, nice to meet you. Hey, congratulations on the film, first of all. Um, You came out publicly recently, just like your co-star, Evan Rachel Wood. How has that affected your career, and why was it important for you to do that? Well, for me personally, everything in my career life, it's made better because I feel better. You know, I feel happy. I feel excited about life again. Um, happier than I could have imagined. So for me, it makes me feel more inspired, more motivated, uh, more uh, just creatively excited. Um, so, you know, I'm not naive to the fact that I'm an out gay actor, but right now, to be honest, I feel so happy in my life. Uh, that. I kind of feel that in every aspect, if you know what I mean. Well, this is what's tragic about it. Everything in her life that was allegedly happy was due to the fact that she was an out lesbian. What changed in five years? Now you've got to shift your entire identity again to be who you really are, quote unquote, and to be happy, quote unquote. That's not where happiness lies. That's where tragedy lies. That's where confusion and deception lie. And I just think about all of the ex-gays, ex-homosexuals, ex-lesbians, even ex-transgenders like our friend Laura Perry, who have revealed how confused and deceived they were when they were going through these kinds of thought patterns. And it just makes me want to pray for this girl because She's very, very confused. Now, one of the other points that needs to be made is she had come out in 2017 during the height of the Me Too movement. And there was a director named Brett Ratner who was accused of sexual misconduct. And she wrote an article accusing him of homophobic and abusive behavior. This was something a Canadian media outlet covered. L- listen to this because this kind of explains the story a little bit more. This is Cut for. The damage an abuse of power can cause was made painfully clear today when Canadian actor Ellen Page took to Facebook. Dory, I'm here to help you. She wrote about an incident on the set of an X Men movie. She says she was just 18 when director Brett Ratner invited an older woman to have sex with Page to make her realize she's gay. This public aggressive outing left me with long-standing feelings of shame, she wrote. Making someone feel ashamed of who they are is a cruel manipulation designed to oppress and repress. Page also described being harassed and assaulted. I want to see these men have to face what they've done, she wrote. I want them
3: to not have power anymore.
0: Now, that's telling to me. I don't want men to have power anymore. Are there some underlying problems there that she has with men based on men who have hurt her? Because she also mentioned in that Facebook post from a few years back, uh, she discussed sexual abuse in the industry at large. This was via Vanity Fair, shared a story about a director who allegedly propositioned her when she was just 16. And she talks about being sexually assaulted. A few months after that, this is a 16-year-old girl. Are we really to believe that the whole broader issue of sexual abuse does not play a part in how some of these people develop and, and start to play with different sexual identities? It's sinful, yes, but it's tragic as well because it's the LGBT movement that doesn't want people like this to even be able to deal with sexual abuse issues. Because you might help somebody come out of the LGBT identity and we can't have that. We're going to come back. There's more to come on Janet Muffer today. Did you know that bible believers around the world are praying to receive their very own copy of God's Word? Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send those Bibles today. Hear from Meng in Vietnam. If they don't have Bible, how they can find
4: the truth? Because the Bible like a map to bring them to find the truth. And many people, they are really... Uh, hungry for the Word of God, and then they need the Bible.
0: Nipo is a pastor in Ghana praying for Bibles for former Muslim radicals now following Christ. Anna was forced into an arranged marriage to an abusive atheist in Albania, but her godly witness changed his heart and now he needs a Bible. Emilio lost everything after his home was burned by terrorists in Mexico, and he's praying for a Bible to share Christ with others. Will you be the answer to these pleas for God's Word? $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10 and because of a matching gift right now, your gift will be doubled. Call 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMaffer.com.
5: Dan Steiner here with Preborn Ministries, and this is my personal invitation for you to join my wife, Valerie, and I on December 13th for Celebrate Life, a live Christmas online benefit for unborn children. Many of you have supported and saved the lives of preborn babies, through this radio session. This is an opportunity, friend, for you to see a pre-born center in action, for you to see moms and babies who have chosen life to meet some of the directors. We're gonna have Matthew West to hear Christmas music from Matthew. An opportunity for you to do a watch party in your home, bring your friends together and celebrate life that has been saved as a result of your generosity. And friends, on this broadcast, we're going to have a live ultrasound as well for you to see, like many of you have supported. So please join us on December 13th, 7 p.m. Eastern Time at preborn.com. Preborn.com on December 13th for Celebrate Life, a live Christmas online benefit for preborn babies.
2: You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now, here's Janet.
0: In Matthew 18... The Lord says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. It's a very serious passage. It's a very dire warning to all of us about the importance of not causing a little one to stumble. And I think when I read that passage about... All of these kids who are now gender confused and they think they're the opposite sex and they're trying puberty blockers and they're doing this and they're doing that. Maybe you heard about this most recent story. This is horrible. Did you hear that in Australia, police removed a teenage girl from her parents over their abusive refusal? This is how it's characterized abusive refusal to let her transition to a boy. This has happened in the United States before, but this is via LifeSite News. An Australian magistrate ordered that a gender-confused teenage girl be removed from her home after the magistrate called the parents' refusal to allow her to transition into a boy abusive. Well, you tell me what's abusive. Is it abusive to say, God made you as a girl and we want to get you some help if you're confused and you think you're a boy? Is that abusive or is that kind, loving, and good parenting? Because we're now moving into an era in which the state is beginning to be totalitarian over these gender issues, specifically over the transgender issue. It's bonkers. Again, we've gone nuts. Here's an example of this. Here's an example of this. 60 Minutes Australia did a piece last year, late last year, about a young boy named Patrick. And here's what's interesting. It's funny that this thing even got on the air. But this was a young Australian boy who wanted to be a girl and then decided he wanted to be a boy again after going through some of these alterations, these hormonal alterations. And I want to play a little bit of it for you because it's very revealing what a lie this entire movement really is. He's asked, what does it feel like to believe you're a girl trapped in a boy's body? This is what Patrick said, cut five.
4: Um. Well, it just feels like um, you wish you could just, change everything about you, you just see any girl and you say I'd kill to be like that.
2: It came as an even greater relief when Patrick was diagnosed with gender dysphoria by doctors in Adelaide. With mum's support, Patrick made the full-time transition to life as a girl.
4: I can tell you that no child would do this on a whim. It's one of the most harrowing, stressful. Um, self-questioning experiences you can have.
2: It was quite a private thing for you, wasn't Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Which is why it's very brave of you to speak to us, and we're very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. But what were you doing at home? You were were using a girl's name, Mm -hmm. and you were wearing girls' clothes.
4: I felt inside that I was a girl. I didn't feel physically that I was a girl, but I felt like I was on the right track to becoming a girl.
0: I mean, this is terrible, listening to this. And if memory serves me correctly, this was a single mom who was helping this boy get the guidance that he didn't need. And I'm thinking to myself, where's the dad? In so many of these cases, there is an element of that. Where's the dad? Where's the father? Is the father even in the home? Because it seems anecdotally, at least, that a lot of times when you have a child who is approved to go through some kind of gender transition, it's the mom. It's the mom who's doing it. Why? The mom feels bad. The mom wants to help the child. But you're not being a good parent by doing this. It should be self-evident that you're not being a good parent by letting this child go forward in a delusion. Now, his mom, listen to this part of it. Australian law actually says you have to be 16 years old and get court approval in order to start hormone blockers if you want to change your sex, quote-unquote. Patrick's mom let him start doing this at 13 years old. Listen to cut sex.
4: So our motivation for second-stage treatment was really that Patrick was growing very tall and very broad. And one thing that estrogen will do is halt the bone growth to more of a girl pattern of growth. So we were wanting to fuse his bone growth so that uh, we could reduce his height a little bit and uh, also soften his features.
2: It's this decision that's most controversial because the changes to Patrick's body are permanent.
4: And as soon as we started taking the estrogen, After a month or two, you could really see his features starting to soften a little bit and we would have regular x-rays, which the hospital supported. um, And you could see that his um, bones were fusing. Was he happier? Having access to the estrogen was a huge step for Patrick. It was part of the solution to get to the goal, which at that time, he had been diagnosed as transgender, he had accepted that diagnosis and he was on a pathway to create a life for himself as a female
0: first of all it's just flat out evil to do this to your child i don't care if people think i mean for saying that it's evil to do that to your child what mother says i'm going to give my son estrogen to soften his features and to affect his bone structure that's child abuse flat out and they, play, they can play all the little wonderful piano ditties in the background to make it manipulative and make everybody think this is just such a wonderful, loving thing to do, helping her son become who he is. But you find out that, in fact, it didn't end that way. And by the way, did you notice that when the interviewer asked the mother, was Patrick happier when you let him begin this hormone treatment? She never said yes. Oh, it, he got on the path to become a female. that That's not a yes. He wasn't happier. Because guess what happened when Patrick turned 14? Cut seven.
2: But earlier this year, Patrick, now 14, stunned his family with a dramatic decision.
4: He wasn't sleeping, and um, I said to him, are, you know, are you anxious about something? Is something on your mind? And uh, he just looked me in the eye and said I'm just not sure that I am a girl.
2: I'm not sure I understand like you know one minute you're really convinced you're a girl and then you think well
4: I'm happier being male. Mm -hmm. Well what happened? I guess I just realized that I could be happy without completely changing who I am.
0: Okay who are you though this is the thing you hear this phrase all the time In the LGBT community, who I am, and it usually has to do with gender identity, not your actual sex as God created you and programmed your DNA, either XY or XX. It's how I feel on the inside. My physical body isn't determining any of this. It's how I feel. Well, if it's based on how you feel, then who you are can change every five minutes. It's like a little kid saying, I'm a fireman because I'm putting on my fireman's costume. No, now I'm a princess. No, now I'm a policeman. No, now I'm a cowboy. That's stuff kids do. But for the adults to go along with this insanity is demonic. It's demonic. God created them male and And female, this isn't hard. This isn't oblique. This is not something that is difficult for us to understand. What is difficult for us to understand is how you see so many people being duped by what is obviously false and people who are brave enough. I don't want to say brave. That's an overused word, but people who are smart enough to say it openly and honestly that men are men and women are women are called transphobes. You know, you must not have much in the way of truth on your side. If you have to name call, if someone disagrees with you, that's like the last bastion of losers in debates, the people who have to hurl names because they can't think of any intelligent response that would actually persuade anybody to come over to their side. There's no persuading people. There's only propagandizing. And how many of these young kids are going to end up in absolute trauma because So many people went along with this. This brings me back to my original point, which is if you know who you are in Jesus Christ and you are living your life according to God's word and what God says about his world and what God says about you as a person, you're not going to get derailed and you're not going to be fooled by the devil's schemes to try to bring you into this fake reality that they think is reality And just turn everybody's mind into a bowl of applesauce. What do you say about this? And this is something we've been talking about for quite a few years. But if you have someone like Ellen Page who can say, I'm a lesbian and I'm so happy and it's who I am. And five years later, she's coming out. I'm transgender and I'm non-binary. You can't be those two things simultaneously. But it doesn't matter. You know what, folks? God's world is binary. Male, female. Light, darkness, good, evil, saved, damned. It's a very binary world. If you're saved, you can't be a little bit saved any more than you can be a little bit pregnant. You're either saved and you're in Jesus Christ or you are not. You are either with Jesus Christ or you are with the world and the devil. And that's it. And that's why we have so much opportunity right now to be a light in this dark world and to tell people the truth, not only about their physical bodies and how God created them, but about the salvation that God provided for us in Jesus Christ to set our minds right, just as Romans talks about, renewing your mind. Boy, have we ever needed it more than we need it right now? I don't think so. We've got to leave it there, and we thank you for being with us on Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time.